Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Father, I give you thanks for your word. You said heaven and earth would pass away. You said heaven and earth would pass away before even one jot or tittle of your word would leave or pass or be unfounded. And I simply pray, Father, that this morning you help me to take this jumble of thoughts and uh, speak them in a way that is accurate and what you would have me to say as I, as it were, introduce some of this that we're going to follow through with over the several months. Help me, Father, to help people. And I pray that you strengthen our people to help themselves and to recognize the moment that they're in and to recognize the great true privilege it is, as I said earlier, to be alive at this moment. So I give you praise for this morning, and I give you thanks in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Two weeks ago, or last night, I shared just a moment, and I'm going to just reiterate a couple of the things I said. And like I said on the text, um, I'm going to go, and I'm going to teach on end times, which I haven't done in maybe 12 years. And I'm pulling out a lot of my old information, and I can't find some of the names of my resources in some cases. But it's simply time to uh, really look at some things. And um, but I, I, like I said, this morning's a bit of a jumble about stuff because before I actually, like I said, I'm not really going to speak. Well, I'll, I'm going to mention a couple of things about the preciseness of God. I, I, you've heard me mention that many times. Our Father, our God is precise in His timings. He is precise in His timings. And you've heard me say before, you know, Jesus Christ came exactly when He was supposed to come. Anybody here believe that besides me? In the fullness, in the, it says in the Greek, in the critical niche of time, God sent forth His Son. There was no other time He was to come but then. And you need to consider, you came at a particular time that was pre-appointed by Almighty God in heaven itself. You know, most of us don't actually consider that. But this is your appointed time. It really is. Whatever your station in life is, it makes no difference. Whatever your career may or may not be to you, it makes no difference. You, as a human being, you're here because at some point you made the decision to believe in Jesus, the Christ, that he is the son of the living God. We're all at different stages of growth, or as it were, as spiritual maturity, understanding of things that are of God. But we're all in the same boat, like I said, in that we're on this ship and we're headed to heaven. Like I, you've heard me say, some of us are on the top, some of us are down on the hold, some of us don't know where we're at, some of us are running around the deck, but we're on the ship. Thank God you've made the choice, at least I pray you have, if you haven't, make the choice today to believe and understand Jesus Christ is this living Son of God. and He's alive today, seated at the right hand of the Father, where He ever lives to pray for you still. Now, last time I spoke, I mentioned just this, that the Lord, He said something to me. Uh, he spoke about alive. He's, uh, uh, 
I just, you know, I read Hebrews 4.12. It just jumped up at me again. You don't have to turn there. You know it. But it's, it's just the first part. For the word that, see, I pray, have your ears open. For the word that God speaks is alive. I couldn't get past that. He said, my, and I wrote it down. I said, in the, I said uh, my people, he said this to me. He said, my people do not have the revelation of life what it truly is, or the power of it. I created life itself, and then I offered that life that made me live to them. The word that God speaks is alive. And you have to think, whatever it's going to take for you to figure it out, what that means to alive. It's a living substance. It's not just text. Now, I'll probably repeat myself over and over again, but these are the kind of things that you have to meditate on, think about, ponder, have many silas, so that when you look at God's Word, you're not reading a book. You're imbibing the life that He put into it to get into your life. You know how the scripture says, receive the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. You have to receive the engrafted word. That means it needs to be cut into your heart, engrafted, carved, where this stuff isn't just something that you mentally have read and mentally ascend to, but it is intended, I mean, his life, you know, the, the scripture says in Ephesians, he gave us the very life of Christ himself. And it's, it's that, think, he gave us whatever the life that Jesus had that, that made him who he was. By grace, and you choosing to believe what God did in Jesus, he, as a gift, Put that life in you. Whatever makes God eternal and eternal and eternal is in us if we've received Jesus. But when you approach things, it's all it, your attitude, your opinion, your thoughts. It makes all the difference in the world. The word of God is alive. We all know Jesus said it's seed. Last time I did this, remember I held up a tomato and I held up a packet of tomato seed and I said, which of these are alive? And to a degree, the tomato has life in it and that it has nutrients, but it's that seed that looks like it's nothing. It's just something that sits there solitary, doesn't do anything. But there's that magic thing. It's not magic. It's God's way. You put that seed in the environment it's intended to be put in, and something begins to come forth and grow and bloom and produce something that gives sustenance. Well, God's word is seed. It's alive. And we all know that the Bible teaches like begets like. If you plant rice seed, you will get rice. You will not get corn. If you plant corn, you will get corn. When you plant God's word of healing promises, you will reap healing promises. 
When you plant God's seed word about finance, you will reap finance. It cannot be otherwise because he said his word will never fail. I said it cannot be otherwise. But if we only approach it as a teaching, if we only approach it as some equation, there's too many things that will come to distract you. There's too many things that will come to, as it were, cause doubt to just flood your mind and your head. Most of people faint because of the time frame. You don't understand that, you know, like Jesus said when he taught on that parable of the seed, he said the sower, he puts it in, he said the farmer, he puts it in the soil. He said he lets it go, and he said, by and by it brings forth first the First a little bitty bloom, then the little bitty stalk, and then the full ear in the corn. And then it says this, and he knoweth not how. I don't know how either. <laughs> but he said, this is what we need to believe. If I plant that seed in me, the seed of God's word, it's alive. If I put that life in my heart, which is the earth you know, we all know that's what God meant. He means in the human heart that the human heart is the earth. If you plant that seed in this earth, and again, you have to know of anybody at the gardens, you need to take the weeds out. You need to, because weeds, weeds just show up, don't they? I've always said this. You don't have to go down to a B&Q and buy weed seed. Weed just shows up. That's what hell does. But you put God's word that is alive, and you put it in this heart, which is earth, and it cannot but bring forth if you leave it there. If you dig it up, remember the old teachings, if you dig it up every 15 minutes to see if it's working, it ain't going to grow. It has to stay there. The song that Denise shared, this one word, saturate, you have to let the word of God be there and let it do what it does. It has to stay in the soil. What's the soil? Your heart. It has to stay in your heart. But again, you faint in your mind. So hell's job is to get you to get in your mind. I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. How to? No, you rest. This farmer plants a seed and he goes, <gasps> and he lays back down and kicks back. Knowing, trusting that the seed will produce what the seed is inclined or intended to produce. Okay? I said, I have to approach it from this angle first. Now, how about this for the word? We all know these verses, but you know, John 1. In the beginning was what? The word. And the word was with God. And what do you do with this? And the word was God. Years ago, I remember I was teaching, and this guy, he criticized me. He said, you're deifying the word. And I said, what? I didn't understand. He said, you're deifying the word. You're, you're making it more than it is. And I said, well, uh, uh, Scripture says, and the word was God. Scripture says when Jesus comes back, he's got this sash across him that says, the word of God. I said, I don't know. I said, the word kind of already is deified, I think. I, I kind of know what he meant. But what I'm getting at is the way you approach God's word is what changes everything. You don't just, like I said, hurdle into it like it's a novel. There are these basic, basic things that need to be comprehended in your spirit, man. And again, this is why, like, I was so grateful when I got saved. We were, quote, taught how to study. 
we were taught how to give ourselves to it. I was taught these things five days a week, three, day, three hours a day at first. And in other words, because why? Because the fear, of the, the reverence for God is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't reverence this for what it actually is, I guarantee you, you'll not find much fruit from it. God's word is alive. I, 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 I feel like I could say that for the next 50 minutes and that would be enough. God's word is alive. But the thing is right now, and I also said the last time we're together, that I'm, I'm really concerned about all the fear that's upon this planet right now. You know, ever since 2020 when the pandemic hit, we all know what happened. It was, it was almost funny, wasn't it? I mean, the grocery stores, I've still got pictures of Julie and I going into Tesco and every literal shelf is flat out empty. You know, in the great toilet paper controversy. <laughs> You know, of all the things to, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny, but, you know, I grew up in the mountains, so I know how to use leaves. That's all I want to say. That's all I want to say. But the fear, and again, like I said, you have to understand, it is true. I'll just, I'll just filter in a couple of things about end times as I go. Like I said, I'm nowhere near getting ready to actually begin to speak to it until you know, it'll be about a month from now, really, because I'm gonna, I've asked David to speak the next time we come together. But you know, indeed, you already know some of the passages, but you know, Jesus said the signs of the times that it is in the end. And please, I'll just say this right now. We are in the end times now. We're not approaching them. We're in the beginning of them now. We are there. Earthquakes everywhere. You know, the last one being the one that brought the tsunami to Tonga. Plagues. I mean, the first time we know of in history that a worldwide plague has happened you really catch that? Wars, rumors of wars. Blood moons. There's only been blood moons happened four times in our recorded history. Uh, 1400, and I think it's 36, I'm not sure. And every time a blood moon, the blood moons happen, literally on the heels of them were a dramatic thing that took place in Israel. I'll see if I can find that stuff out. Then the next one was 16-something, and the next one was... I don't remember, but of course we recently, just about four years ago or three or four years ago, had all the blood moons again. And upon that happening is when, again, America recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. These are tumultuous things that are happening. All the things that are happening in the heavens that the satellites are seeing and everything, you know, this, we, we're just so near, so many things. Um, so there's this fear that's just everywhere. And people who give it, they don't, you know, and it's just like the COVID thing. And again, I do not condemn anybody that doesn't want to get vaccinated. I don't, not at all. But, you know, all that in America, it's really a big deal, you know. And I understand part of their hindrances because to a degree, many people, many some, well, I don't know how many places, but a lot of places in America are making it, you know, that you have to get vaccinated, as it were. And so some people are concerned just about the governmental issue of that. But I'll just say again real quick, as far as me, you know, you have to understand, again, if you actually believe God's truth and God's word, Jesus, the word of God says, just acknowledge me in whatever you do. Do whatsoever you do in the name of Jesus. So, in other words, I don't care if there was something weird about the vaccine. 
I got my vaccinations in the name of Jesus Christ. And see, when you do that, it's like a fail-safe. It keeps you. God, he's not going to let harm come to you. When you do something, you do what he says to do and acknowledge him in the name of Jesus. Do you hear me? But again, so there's, and it shook me a bit, you know, that some of our own people were really concerned and they were afraid. And just that people get constricted by too many things. But see, to, that, to me, what that is is simply, it's a sign that there's a whole, that there's a lot of, there's a lack of trust. And maybe even, in, again, this is not to condemn, I'm just saying it's a lack of understanding of the ways of God and what has really been done and what is really available and what we're really and how we're ready to claim the whole issue of living by faith. Listen, in the decades gone by, when the faith message like Brother Hagin when it was first hit boom, began to go around the earth, because of human nature, people saw it as a way to get their needs met. Only, you know, no good. If you live by faith, you'll get a new car. If you live by faith, you can get healed. If you live by faith, and all that, in other words, it was about me. But really, the whole message of faith was God in the beginning, like as it were, putting the proverbial carrot out in front of the donkey so that the donkey would follow after it to get to where he really wants to go. In the days and the years coming, if you don't know, how to live by faith, you're going to be in great turmoil. Great, 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 great turmoil. Faith in God. Trust in Almighty God is about a whole lot more than having your bills paid. It's a supernatural spirit. It's a spirit. Faith is a spirit. The spirit of faith. Having the same spirit of faith Therefore have I spoken, therefore have I believed. It's a spirit of faith that you have to expose yourself to so that it can possess you, where you finally you find yourself, I've got it, I don't fear. I will, I just refuse the fear. Fear comes to everybody, but you make the choice. You make the choice, I refuse it. Either God is for me or he isn't. Either greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, or he isn't. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> to wait for the war to begin before you start to train is a bit silly. You don't let a battle start and then start training. You can, but you're going to be in a lot of trouble. All of this church stuff are coming together being taught the scriptures. All of these things are to teach us and to train us for what's in front of us. It's training. And we are to be, Paul to Timothy, good soldiers. We're to understand what it means at times even to suffer hardships as soldiers. You gotta remember, Jesus, you know, we, we, I love to teach on his love more than anything. But Jesus, you know, this beautiful shepherd's, shepherd's robe that he wears that just has love all over it is one side of him. But, you know, when you pull that back, there's the armor of the warrior general of all the hosts of heaven. You understand me? 
Jesus, remember, is leading the charge when he comes back. Jesus is no weakling. So you have to begin to understand the, the faces of Christ. Yes, he's this incredible, gentle king who is smoking flax. He will not quench all that. The bent reed he will not break. But on the other side, he is the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of armies. I mean, you got to understand, God is a bad dude when he wants to be. One of the things we'll get to later is, you know, it's amazing to think, you know, <clears throat> in the end, you know, uh, just before the tribulation, in the valley of Hagah, I can't pronounce her, Haga, Hamathagog, I think it's Hamathagog, something like that. The Bible teaches that Russia, Libya, Sudan, and Iran will come, and they say it'll be a few billion soldiers and surround Israel, you know. That's the part where it says, remember in Ezekiel, it's, it's going to, but they're all going to die and it's going to take Israel, it's going to be, they're going to be seven months burying the dead. Blood up to the bridle of a horse. You know who kills them? Not Israel's army. God wipes it. God kills them all himself. God kills a few billion people. Boom. How dare you come against my people. Our God is pretty big. Now this is stuff, like I said, I'll speak to more as we go through this over the months. Because I, I want you to see it for yourself. I don't want you to take my word for it. Uh, but like I said, you understand the Bible is 30% prophecy. 30% of the book is prophecy. And some 90% of that speaks of the Lord's return. And prophecy is an incredible thing to study. I'm, it's, it wasn't my area of expertise whatsoever, but I know how to read from those who do have it, if you know what I mean. But anyhow, let me just, I just, like I said, I, I'm, this is a jumble this morning, but it's important to me because if I just kind of excite you with some things about the end and what this says and read Matthew 24 and you know, quote some of the Old Testament prophets about this stuff and that stuff. You know, you can go away going, wow, that's heavy. But the thing I want you to see is it's alive. The prophecies of God have all come to pass. There's only one major prophecy that's actually left before the coming of Jesus. I'll just let that hang there until, like I said, later. But you got to understand we're that close. We're that close to the final trumpet. For the word that God speaks is alive and it's full of power. It doesn't have a little bit. It's full. I said it's full of power. Then it says it's piercing even to the, to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. I know we know this verse. The word power means that which operates effectively, vehement and vigorous. Piercing means to pierce through, to penetrate, to intervene. When it says alive, it means, the Greek word is zoe, and it means gushing forth, flowing with suggested idea of refreshment, having vital power in itself and exerting the same upon the soul, all those things. But this fear thing, see, has to be conquered. And we all know the verse in First Timothy, don't we? God has not given us, he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit, hasn't he? And what kind of spirit is it? Power, spirit of power. And it's the spirit of love. 
and spirit of a sound mind. That's how you recognize God in things. Is there power there? Is there love there? Is there calmness and a solidified stability of mind there? That's the spirit that he brings, that he's given. If you're born of God, that spirit's in you. But you still have to learn to yield to him, don't you? You still have to learn what it means to learn his ways. As many as are led of the spirit, they're the adults, adult Christians. And um, so this fear thing has to, I mean, I, I, don't want, I don't want our people to have fear about what's to come. When you really begin to study in time, let me tell you, it freaks a lot of people out. And it's intended to, but the people it's intended to freak out are unbelievers. In Thessalonians, Paul says real clearly when he talks about the coming of the Lord, he said, therefore, be comforted in these things. These truths are to bring comfort to you that know Christ. And if I've never said it before, I think I have, but I, you're, me, the pastor, fully believes in the rapture of the church. I fully believe in the rapture of church, but if you don't think all hell's not going to break loose before the rapture, you're very, very, very mistaken. And this is my concern, like I said, that you really understand. Well, God just said this to me four days ago. He said, are you prepared for what's around the corner? Are my people prepared? Are your people prepared? And he said, as a pastor, you've got to understand part of your calling is to prepare the people for what's out there. Right? And any of us that, quote, unquote, have any seniority and leadership, that's what we're here to do. We're here to prepare you. Like I said, help you be trained so that you don't faint. You know the old story of combat? It is true. The moment the bullets start flying, all of your plans go out the door. I've had bullets go by my head a few times. I've got to tell you something. That's where if you have any training, the training does kick in. That's why you'll hear combat soldiers talk about that. They said, thank God for their training. They knew what to do because they'd been drilled and 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 drilled. This is what you do. It's no different in the body of Christ and the army of the Lord. We need to be so well trained that you don't hesitate for a minute and a half trying to figure out what to do and get your head blown off. So all of the things that we teach, prayer, offerings, all of those things, worship, the power of worship. Let me tell you, you know, worship is a weapon of war. We all know he said he's ordained, he's ordained praise to still the enemy. It's part of, and we don't even really, understand, I don't think, we see most people don't really believe that. But that's like what was said this morning by Denise or Antonia, I forget which. Well, I think it was Antonio about the songs of deliverance thing. You see, that's how you shut the devil's mouth. You start singing the goodness of God. It works every time. I'm telling you, it works every time. I've had to do it many times in my life. And I'm just saying, it's just, but it's like we kind of, okay, maybe, uh, whatever. But you don't really understand. <clears throat> this is warfare. It's, it's, yes, but see, you have to understand. This is why he says, I want you to love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Because if you have your attention fully on him, that creates this gigantic bubble of power and grace that the devil can't penetrate. There's too many verses I could take you to. You know, I could walk you through Proverbs left and right and Psalms where, you know, the Lord will go before us. The Lord will be our covering. The Lord is our shield and our 
the name of the Lord's a high tower, the righteous run into it and safe. I mean, all these things, are all, they all have to do with conflict. So for you to think, you know, for a lot of the body of Christ, this is what freaks me out about a lot of the churches. And I'm not judgmental about any churches. But this is why it is true where you go to church is going to determine your destiny to a degree. You know, it's wonderful. Church, all churches have dynamic strengths and dynamic whatever. And, but it is true that a lot of churches are, are about a, they, some of them are like they say a mile wide, but they're only an inch deep. They, they do not have what it's going to take to sustain themselves when the persecution comes. And you've got to ask yourself that question. And see, this is not trying to get somebody to think you're being melodramatic in a Sunday morning service. But really, what, what, what would you do? You know, there was a time in history, I forget, I think it's 600, 700 years ago, I don't remember, I'd have to look back, where in Germany, um, in one day, every piece of German money was made worthless, everything, in one day. I don't care who they were. In one day, all the money was rendered gone. And they started a brand new way, of, as it were, of currency and doing exchange. And to say that it rocked all of Germany would be quite an understatement. Now, again, we all know, and like I said, we'll talk about this later too. We'll get into all this thing about, you know, the one world currency. Everybody can see that that's already taking place. It's starting. You know, it's starting. I mean, even the euro throughout Europe, you know, that's, that was, that, that's nice and it makes, makes, makes things easier, doesn't it? Right? When you travel in Europe. But see, all of those things, they are going to escalate. All of it's from the Bible. And we all know about the chip. Yeah, we'll talk about some of that. And we all know that there are many nations that are already utilizing the chip, you know, because, again, it's just a safety measure. Because that way nobody will be able to steal from you and there'll be absolute, absolute, credible knowledge that it is you that is dealing with this situation. So just, you know, put your hand into this and it'll scan the RFD chip and you can buy this stuff. And that way, and nobody can steal that because, you don't, you know, they can't steal a credit card. And they can't walk by with that little machine and take all your information from that because it's a chip that's in your hand. Or... And that's already happened in two European nations and... Not fully yet in, in both of them, but, you know, and of course we know major corporations are doing that already for their identification situations. What will, what, what are you, you going to do when they say, I, I, you know, all your credit cards are no good anymore? You do it this way or you don't do it at all? Because that, that is around the corner. It's just, and see, this is not trying to put any fear on people. It's this is why I preach over and over and over and over and over again about the Goshen thing. This is why the real issue of faith is going to, this is where the real issue of faith is going to come to bear. Goshen, my people, as long as they're in Goshen, Anything that comes upon the world is not going to come on you. But will you hide yourself in Goshen? Again, Goshen is a type and a shadow of the kingdom. 
Will you be found doing things the way the kingdom is? We all know Matthew 6, 33, and I love it in the Amplified, where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But listen to this part in the Amplified. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Listen, his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. The kingdom. Seeking the kingdom means will you really find out his way of doing and being right? I based my life on Goshen because he said to. I trust him. Do I have moments where I faint? Absolutely, because I'm human. But I've learned to just, like I said, just jump right back up. I refuse. I refuse to doubt my living God. I refuse to doubt him. I'm, you know, I've got all kinds of questions that are, not, that are unanswered yet, like a lot of other people do. I don't know everything. But I do know this, come hell or high water, I'm going to trust him. Really. Literally. And you know, you know, all through Canada right now, they've just they've finalized these, uh, this thing about um, you're not allowed to, um, to counsel people that have had a gay lifestyle. Because they, they, you know, it's, they call it conversion therapy. And they say it's, and, if, and many, many pastors right now in Canada have been arrested. And churches actually have been shut down just in the last three months. Just the last three months that have been shut down for, quote, unquote, practicing conversion therapy. And when, and like this one pastor said, he said, I don't care if I go to prison forever. He said, I'm not going to stop helping people. If people come to me for help, I'm going to offer them the help that God tells me to give them. See, the world doesn't see it that way. Everything, the LGB, whatever, 14 letters, trip movement, is part and parcel of what's going to take place. The whole Islamic thing, of course, is part and parcel. I mean, you know, Islam's literally going to be wiped out. But even having said that, you know, I don't, I'm sure some of you have seen some of the, the beautiful testimonies about thousands, tens of thousands of Muslims are having seen visions of Jesus and getting saved. Tens of thousands are seeing visions of Jesus. Doesn't that say something? Isn't that kind of saying something? Anyhow, I can see you're all thrilled with me this morning. <laughs> Last time I was here, I also said, what is big? And I just want to repeat that for a moment. Remember, I said, what, is, what does big mean to you? Does big mean how many numbers we have? Does big mean buildings? And then I asked the question, remember, who was bigger, David or Goliath? Who's bigger, David or Goliath? Well, David was bigger because bigness is determined by what's in your heart, not how big your body is. And that's why I'm really grateful for whatever reason, God's given us some really big people in this fellowship. I'm serious. There are some big people here. They've got big hearts. And God smiles at that a lot. I'm going to read two verses that you won't like. That's okay. But um, about how we need to make sure this is in our attitude. Isaiah 28. Um, I'm going to start in verse 9. This is the Amplified Bible. To whom will he teach knowledge? Ask the drunkards. <laughs> and whom will he make to understand the message? Those who are babies. 
just weaned from the milk and taken from the breast. Is that what he thinks we are? Verse 10, for it is his, it is his prophets repeating over and over, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, rule upon rule, rule upon rule, here little, there little. In other words, is that what's going to cause people to change? That hearing the same stuff over and over and over again, as it were. He said in verse 11, no, but the Lord will teach the rebels in a more humiliating way. By men with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, says Isaiah, and teach them his lessons. More about this is going to come later. To these complaining Jews, the Lord had said, this is the true rest, the way to true comfort and happiness that you shall give to the weary, and this is the true refreshing. Yet they would not listen to his teaching. Therefore, verse 13, the word of the Lord will be to them merely monotonous monotony. The word of the Lord to some people is just monotonous repeatings of precept upon precept, precept upon precept, rule upon rule, and rule upon rule, here little, there little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and taken. I've got to tell you, a lot of people find church monotonous. I'm just being honest, okay? I'm speaking of these things because I want to make sure you check yourself out. You don't. If you, if you can't be excited about Jesus Christ, you can't be excited about anything. If you actually find out who this guy is, what he's done, what he's about to do. I mean, I love action movies. I'm still a big kid. I love them. I love shoot 'em ups I still do. Drives Julie crazy sometimes. But I love them. Hallelujah. Boom, 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 boom. You know what I mean? But I always tell her, honey, I'm just practicing spiritual warfare. <laughs> I'm learning, you know, I'm learning. Years and years ago, I had a, that uh, computer game, Call of Duty. Anybody remember that long ago? Yeah. Call of Duty, and I'm shooting these. Julie, come in and say, Rod, stop it. You're killing people. You're killing people. I said, no, 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 baby. I said, they're the enemy. They're the enemy. I said, I'm training myself. I'm just learning better how to really be more accurate and how to get, you know, I'm, it's spiritual warfare training. She didn't agree with that fully. But... Hear what the prophet says here. All kinds of people, the word of God just becomes monotonous to. Uh, I, I always give this old illustration. One of my closest friends, John Baster, and I can say his name because he's cool. We love each other. We were teen challenged together. He actually saved my life in a way. But we, you know, after we were both preachers for a while and stuff like that, we went to this one conference and the guy... <clears throat> said, turn with me to Mark 11, 23 and 24. Well, we kind of know what that faith message is, you know, where Jesus said, you know, about the faith, you know, have faith in God, whosoever saith unto this mountain, speak of the mountain, say, be thou removed, be thou cast thee, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that whatsoever things he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever. Anyhow, that teaching. And this guy said, said there, and man, I, and I just tuned in and I heard so much and at the end of this message, but man, I turned to John and said, man, this is incredible, isn't it? And John, though I love him, just, you know, I've probably done the same thing at some point. He turned to me and goes, oh, man. He said, I just turned off. I've heard that so many times. And I remember being kind of shocked. Wow, how could I get so much from that? Not pat me on the back, but how could I get so much from that message? And this brother, this friend of mine who's really adept in the scriptures, just 
say he didn't get anything out of it. And the Lord simply said to me, he said, just, just out of nowhere, I just heard him, he said, because you prepared your heart. He said, you sowed into the meeting, so you reaped from it. He said, John, at this point, he sold nothing into it. If the word of God is monotonous to you, you need to check yourself. And said, you need to check yourself. This is why I keep harboring, harping on about this thing. The word that God speaks is alive. You need to recognize it's alive. It's a living, living entity that will change your life. Again, if you will receive God's engrafted word, it will save your soul. But see, it's your choice. I've learned a long time ago, I cannot make anybody believe the word of God. As a minister, it says, you that are teachers of the word ought to teach people and show them, you know, that peradventure they will cover themselves out of the snare of the devil, take some captive of his own will. Man, that used to really hurt me because I think, you know, you as a servant of the Lord are to teach the word that peradventure people will recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who is taken captive at his will. You know, but you have to, again, we know Hebrews, the other verse too, right? Uh, but the word being preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You've got to mix faith what you hear. Now, even right now, see this morning, some of you might already be getting monotonous because you're thinking about roast or you're thinking about whatever because of fasting. I don't know, you know, David's thinking about giant piles of ice cream, you know, but, but I... I, I don't know how to say it without sounding corny. The longing of my heart is that you are a prepared people. But there's so many things that have to be looked at. And this is what we've been trying to do over months and months and whatever. But now it's just like I said, we really need to understand the day that's in front of us. I am not joking. I'm not trying to be melodramatic. There's stuff that's going to happen. You know, I think about my grandsons that are eight and six years old. And I go, oh, my God, what they're going to experience. And I, like I talked to my daughter Anna just yesterday, but just for a moment, not about this. But thank God they're in a little Christian school and they're being taught the Bible and they're on TV, they're watching Superbook and nothing else right now, which is that thing, talking about the scriptures and all that kind of stuff. But see, I, they're my grandsons. I love them. I love them. Tommy and Wang back there, right? You know, Sammy, Kellen, Eve. You, you, Yeah, Cynthia, your daughters. You know, it's not to make anybody afraid. It's to have an understanding. I need to teach my children about Jesus Christ of Nazareth and his saving power. I need to teach them about the kingdom of God and how he will keep you and protect you. If you just like I said, if you'll surrender your heart to him, if you'll actually give yourself to his ways, if you'll seek first the kingdom, if you'll find out how the kingdom works, if when he says something's coming because the spirit of God will show you things to come, you'll know to go to Goshen and be safe there when the death angel passes over. That plague will not come nigh you, Psalm 91. I will be found hidden under the secret place of the Most High. All these familiar verses. Yeah. Isaiah 29, right next door. I'm just going to read this one. Then I'm going to read something to you, and we're going to stop. Like I said, until we get going. Um, Isaiah 29. Similar to what was said 
in the, the uh, previous place. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 8. Well, actually, I'm going to start at verse 7. Isaiah 29, verse 7. And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, Jerusalem, even all that fight against her in her stronghold and that distress her shall be as a dream of vision of the night. It shall be as when a hungry man dreams that he's eating, but he wakens with his craving not satisfied. Or as when a thirsty man dreams that he is drinking, but he wakens and is faint and his thirst is not quenched. So <clears throat> shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. God's going to kill them all. <laughs> you say, I don't believe that. He's a good God. You don't touch the apple of his eye. Verse 9, stop and wonder at this prophecy if you choose. Whether you understand it or not, soon you will witness the actual event and be confounded reluctantly. Blind yourselves now if you choose. Take your pleasure and then be blinded at the actual occurrence. They are drunk, but not from wine. They stagger, but not from strong drink, but from what? Spiritual stupor. In other words, they're deaf and dumb in their spirit. Their spirit doesn't understand what's happening on the outside. They're so busy looking at things through the eyes of their flesh, they don't see things through the eyes of the Holy Ghost and the Spirit. Verse 10, for the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep. I could read Proverbs 1 to you right now and show you scriptures where God says over and over again, you know, because they did not turn at my reproof, because they just kept hardening the heart against my instruction, he said, I will laugh at the day of their calamity, for destruction and sure, sure sorrow shall come upon them all, blah, blah, blah. He said, but those who walk in my fear shall be delivered. All through Proverbs, <coughs> you'll find things like that. If you keep standing, coming, you know, like Paul on the, being, you know, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, how long are you going to keep kicking against the goats? How long are you going to keep kicking against this stuff? I've been telling you, I've been telling you, I've been prompting you, I've been prompting you. When are you going to say yes to Jesus? When are you going to say yes to my ways? Don't get mad. When are you going to understand tithing and how incredibly important it is for your protection? When are you going to understand prayer and what it really means to commune with God so that that osmosis thing can happen with God's anointing can get on you? I had a dream three nights ago. It was really trippy. I was uh, in a classroom, and it was kind of like this size. And there were all these little children. They looked like they were about six, seven, eight years old. <coughs> and uh, there was a bowl in front of them uh, full of oil. And they said, Rod, Pastor Rod, they said, what's all that for? And I said, well, that's the anointing oil. That's what they use in the Old Testament. And they said, well, what's the anointing for? And I said, well, I said, God would anoint certain people. And I said, when you were anointed with oil, I said, you could see what you couldn't see before. You could hear what you couldn't hear before. You could smell what you couldn't smell before. You could do what you couldn't do before. And it's so funny. This is a dream. Remember? And then... Just like that, I, it's like I turned and I looked at him and I said, now today, in Jesus' time, I said the same thing is true. If you will be hungry for Jesus, if you'll actually seek him, actually seek and keep on seeking, 
ask and keep on asking. If you'll actually do that, see, he'll see that hunger, and I said, he'll anoint you. That's what happens. The more you stay with him, because I said, you see, he's anointed. And I said, when you get on him, that's the thing about oil, it gets on you. It just gets there. I said, you stay, you spend time with him in prayer. And I said, his anointings get on you. And you know what happens? I said, you begin to see what you could not see. You begin to hear what you weren't able to hear before. And you find yourself able to do what you couldn't do before because of the anointing. That's a funny dream. This is why I'm longing, honestly. I, I, I want you to be prepared for what's around the corner. I want you anointed. I don't want you informed alone. I don't want you full of teaching. What David said in the beginning as well, you know, this issue about the presence of God. Lord said to me 15 years ago, he said, my presence answers everything. And that's a deep statement. And I pondered over it for years and seen different aspects of what that means. My presence answers everything. So then he finishes here in Isaiah 29. He says this. Verse 10 again, I'll just read that. He said, For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep, and he has closed your eyes, the prophets, and your heads, the seers. He's covered and muffled them. In other words, what they should have been doing, they weren't doing. Verse 11, And the vision of all this has become for you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, Read this, I pray you, he says, I cannot afford a seal. <coughs> And when the book is given to him who is not learned, saying, read this, I pray you, he says, I cannot read. But look at 13. For the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but remove their hearts, but they remove their hearts and minds far from me. And this last part in the Amplified. And their fear and their reverence for me are just a commandment of men that's been learned by repetition without any thought of the meaning. See, I do not want that to be the definition of any of our people. Does anybody listen to me at all, or am I just flapping my gums? I'm, I'm really intent about this. I want you to catch this. And yet, you know, I know, and you know what really shakes up a person that's, in, that's been a minister for a while? is that <laughs> when you really do study the parable of the sower sows the seed, Four types of soil, remember? Four types. Only 25% of the people brought forth fruit. And this is Jesus saying when he's speaking. Only 25% of the people have the attitude that's going to cause them to bring forth fruit. That means maybe 75% of you in here right now are just kind of hearing but not listening. Now, that's not to condemn. I'm just saying that's the cold, hard facts. This is why I was taught, thank God, to be intentional when I come in. I'm going to hear if no one else hears. I want to hear the word of the Lord. I want to know what God is saying to me. That's why I don't, you know, go home and then after Sunday never look at the book again. Every single day. Here I am, Spirit of God, guide me, teach me, strengthen me, correct me. Just here I am. You know, you put yourself before God. Like I preached it for years, that daily point and place of consecration. 
you've got to have it. But here he said this thing that my, their fear and reverence for me have been learned as a commandment of men. In other words, I listened to Kenneth Copeland and I learned this. I listened to Bill Johnson and I learned this. I listened to whosoever, Chandler, that you talked about this morning and I learned this. All of it's good. But this is the question Dad Hagen asked us all the years ago. He said, whose faith are you living by? If you don't have your own, somebody else's ain't going to help you that much. I remember him sharing that for his son, Ken Jr., <laughs> he said, every time I prayed for Patty, his daughter, or Ken, he said God healed him every single time they had any illness or sickness come nigh them. He said, but the moment Ken turned 18, the moment he said Ken turned 18, he said, my prayer for healing didn't work for him. And he said, it shook me. And God said, he's on his own now. I'm just telling you what he said, whether you like it or not. He said, he's got, it's time, he should, well, you know, to develop his own faith. So you've got to ask, ask yourself that question, Who's, whose faith are you living by? You've got to dig it and get your own. You've got to understand the Word of God is hid treasure. If, it's, if you look at it, like you've always heard me say, if I told you right now, remember, <clears throat> in one of these walls right here, there's 200 billion pounds tax-free money. If you find it, you can have it. And I always say, how many of you would wait to the end of the service to go check it out? <laughs> if, you, if you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew there was a couple of hundred billion pounds right there in one of these walls, you'd knock every wall in here because you could care less about how much it was going to cost because you find the money, everything's taken care of, right? Think about that. But I always say, if I told you in one of the walls right now in your house, right now, you got a billion pounds sitting there, you know, you wouldn't wait to the end of the service. You wouldn't be courteous at all. <laughs> If you'll seek God's word as hid treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Holy One. I'm going to finish with this. I actually am finishing. And this is my first little tidbit about something towards end times. And the only reason I'm going to share this is because of my thing about precision, how precise God is. And I just thought you'd like, this is like I said, I just started to look back at some of my old notes and stuff and trying to dig back up some of my stuff. I can't find all the resources, but I just, whatever this, and this touched me. There's many others I could have gone to. Um, oh, my God. Okay. No, no, I'm, actually, sorry. Take that off. Put up Daniel 9. Let me, I read the, I need to read Daniel 9, verses 20 through 27 first. Daniel 9. If you can put it up there, 20 to 27. I'm just not even going to open my Bible. I'm going to wait till you get it up there. Help her, Father. Help Brown, favored, favored Brown. Help her, Lord. Help her. Help her, Lord. Help her. Rush to the, rush, 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 rushing on the way. Rushing on the walls. Rush, 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 rush. Hurry, get that off there quick. Get that off there quick. Get to that scripture now, girl. What's the matter? You were sleeping. No, you weren't. I know. Can you get there? It's, in, it's called a Bible. You have a Bible program on that. If you go to the Bible, go to the Bible. <laughs> I'm so kind, aren't I? Yay, it's black now. Okay, go. Daniel 9, verse 20. It's the Bible. Call it the Bible. Say Bible. It'll work quicker. Say Bible. B-I-B-L-E. B-I-B-L-E. Bible is the book for me. 
basic instructions before leaving earth. Remember that one? B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Daniel. They're so excited now, they've already, they're going to McDonald's in a minute. Daniel chapter 9. I'm just wanting them to read it for themselves. So how was your day? Bless you, Jenny. What? It's not there. Oh, I wanted it up there so I could read it. Now you've got to make me... Can you get it on there? Oh, well, forget it. Let me turn my Bible open. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. <laughs> Uh, oh, in the first year of Darius, son of Asarasius, of the offspring of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood. I understood from the books Daniel read. I understood from the books the number of years. Come in. I understood from the years, wait a second, I, Daniel, understood from the books the number of years which according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, he was reading the writings about Jeremiah, what he said. I understood the years which according to the prophet must pass by before the desolations which had been pronounced on Jerusalem should end, and it was 70 years. And I set my face... God, may we all do this. And I set my face to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting like we've just been doing and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God who keeps covenant, mercy, and loving kindness with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned. I love the fact that he identifies, even though he was a, evidently you know, a righteous man. That's what Nehemiah did. That's what the rest of that. You identify with the people. You don't exclude yourself and, oh, I thank God I'm not like that guy down there. No, we've all sinned. We have sinned and dealt perversely and done wickedly and have rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Neither have we listened to and heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. What verse is this? Is that verse? It says verse 7, right? I ask you to start at verse 20. Did I say that? Well, anyhow, 20. Anyhow. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, David, pow, you know, I've always got to confess his sin, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, I mean the, the angel, one of the archangels, I'd, I don't, I'd, I'd, I'd have to say I don't know if I can handle it or not, but I would sure, but can you imagine being having Gabriel appear to you. And what, yes, while I was 
Speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the former vision, being caused to fly swiftly, came near to me and touched me about the time of the evening sacrifice. I've got to throw this in. I've shared it before. It's amazing how many times in Scripture you'll see something supernatural happening about the time of a sacrifice. Sacrifice releases power. Where there's a sacrifice, something happens. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, which should, okay, he had started. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in his former vision, being caused to fly swiftly, came near to me and touched me about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and made me understand. He talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give you skill and wisdom and understanding. At the beginning of your prayers, from the moment you prayed, the word, giving an answer, went forth. And I come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks of years, or 490 years, are decreed upon your people and upon your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish and put an end to transgression. To put an end to transgression. To finish and put an end to To seal up and make full the measure of sin. To purge away and make expiation and reconciliation for sin. To bring in everlasting righteousness, permanent moral and spiritual rectitude in every area and relation. To seal up vision and prophecy in the prophet and to anoint a holy of holies. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, Nehemiah, until the coming of the anointed one, Jesus, a prince, shall be seven weeks of years. Seven weeks of years. Forty-nine sevens. And sixty-two weeks of years. And it shall be built again with city square and moat, but in troubles, troublous times. And believe me, when Nehemiah, it took them 49 years to rebuild Jerusalem and because they were being hit on every side, which you'll see in a minute when I'm reading. And after the 62 weeks of years shall the anointed one be cut off or killed, Jesus crucified, and shall have nothing and no one belonging to and defending him. And the people of the other prince who will come, Antichrist, will destroy the city and the sanctuary its end shall come with the flood, and even to the end there, will sure be, there shall be war and desolations are decreed. Final verse I want to read. And he shall enter into a strong and firm covenant with the many for one week, seven years. And in the midst of the week, the seven-year tribulation period, he shall cause the, the sacrifice and offering to cease for the remaining three and a half one years, and upon the wings and upon the wing of pinnacle of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the full determined end is poured out on the desolator, you know, the Antichrist and all. Like I said, there's much we're gonna get into that at another time. If you put up now, I've just got this one, this is the little thing I want to read and then I'm gonna stop and we're gonna go home. You got it? <clears throat> Tell me I'll let you get it's okay, I'm sorry. I love Favor Brown. You know I do. I just play it. Elizabeth. How do you pronounce your last name? Akapabok, Waka Kapori? Akapori? Sorry, you, I'm not, I'm really not a soldier. I'm, I'm really a nice guy. I was going to say ask my wife, but then sometimes. Well. 
Okay. This passage describes how the angel Gabriel came to Daniel. Whoops, is it up there? Oh, better wait. Okay. This passage describes how the angel Gabriel came to Daniel at a crucial time in Israel's history. The Jewish people were in Babylonian captivity, but longed to return to their home. Gabriel told Daniel that when the time came for the Jews to return and rebuild Jerusalem, it would begin a 490-year prophetic countdown to the end. Three-part prophecy. The 77s Gabriel spoke about were 70 weeks of years. In other words, 77-year segments. We had to study this for six months at school. It's, 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 it's Daniel 70 weeks. It's quite a thing to really comprehend. But I'm just trying to show you a bit. The 77s Gabriel spoke about were 70 weeks of years. In other words, 77-year segments. He told Daniel those years would be broken up into three parts. Part one, the first is a period of seven sevens, which equals 49 years. This is the period of time it took the Jews who returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Such a lengthy rebuilding period may seem overly long, but remember it was a time of great difficulty. The Jews experienced profound resistance and constant attacks from their enemies. This fulfilled Gabriel's words that Jerusalem would be rebuilt in times of trouble. The book of Nehemiah tells the story in detail, part two. According to Gabriel, the next period of time includes 62 sevens, or 434 years total. When you add the 49-year period to the 434-year period, you get a total of 483 years. That's when Gabriel tells Daniel that the anointed one, Jesus, would be put to death. That's where it gets interesting. Did that period get fulfilled? In the 19th century, the famed Assyriologist Sir Henry Creswick Rawlinson discovered and translated ancient records in the palace of Shushan, sometimes known as Susa. According to these documents, the orders to rebuild Jerusalem was given by Artaxerxes Longinimus on March the 14th, March the 14th in the year 445 BC. Now the Jewish calendar is lunar. As a result, it has only 360 days in every year. Using that calendar, a total of 483 years, or 173,880 days, passed before, passed between 40, 445 BC and the death of Jesus. Beginning on, I'm wondering if you see about the precision. Beginning on March 14th, 445 BC, and adding these 173,880 days would bring us to April the 6th, 32 AD. That date is Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt and began his march to death on the cross. The very day, the very day. And this is the kind of stuff, like I said, we're going to get some of it into, but I'm trying to, get, I'm trying to let you know that God is precise. Remember, like, even when he told Moses about how long the people of Israel would be in bondage. Remember, they were in the bondage to Egypt, and they came out to the day. Remember the scripture? To the day, 400 years later. To the day. The date is Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a coat began his march to death on the cross. In other words, the prophecy given by Gabriel to Daniel was fulfilled exactly. This is one of the reasons I love Bible prophecy so much. It is measurable and easy to prove or disprove. If Jesus wouldn't have been present in Jerusalem that Sunday, if he wouldn't have been put to death when Gabriel said he would, it would be easy to disprove the passage. 
Some people try to argue the Bible and Bible prophecy are inaccurate and uninspired, but history shows us the truth. I may not do anything for you, but I, I love stuff like that. To the day, our God is precise. The times are upon us. We're right at the cusp right now. Hallelujah. This is why my wife and I just long for you to fully embrace God, fully embrace the messages like Deji's giving that has so much strength and power to them. You know, even a while, a few weeks ago, you know, he made a statement that it shook some people. He said, you know, even, you know, he said, fact of the matter is there's even some in our congregation that quite frankly won't make it. They simply won't make it because it's monotonous to them. It's a commandment of men. And uh, wonderful messages that David was bringing about identity and everything else. It's all for a purpose because we need to be prepared for what's right around the corner. It is no joke. Listen, listen to me. As God is my witness, I know that it's going to happen, at least in my grandchildren's life. You know, I'm 70, what am I, 74? 74 years young. I'm still a young whippersnapper. <clears throat> but uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I want to be here. I really do. But most of you are going to be here. Please take your Christianity serious. Enjoy the love. Enjoy the fellowship. Enjoy the worship. Let's continue to have all of that, that, that part of it. But don't forget Jesus is the Lord of hosts as well. He's a mighty warrior king. And we are to be a people full of faith. Because, again, our ability to stand in front of all the conflict and not faint and not be moved and not even be touched is going to be part of the greatest evangelistic flow for the unbelievers the earth has ever seen. They're going to see, why are you not affected? You think that's just preaching. No, it's actually going to happen to those who've learned to exercise their faith now in little things. Little things. Believe God for a pair of socks before you believe God to change the world. Exercise your faith. Show Him you trust Him. Show Him. Show me. Show me. Show me the money. Show me your faith. Show me your faith. Amen? And yeah, that's where we're headed. Father, I just give you thanks for this morning. I hope it wasn't too much. But I thank you, Father. I just give you thanks for what you're doing. I'm, I, again, I, I'm really excited about being alive right now. I'm excited what we're going to see in the next five years and ten years. I mean, just... I'm excited and I refuse to be moved by all the hell that's going to happen because you said it would be happening, so I'm not going to be so shocked by it. I'll be hurt and disturbed and pained by it, but I refuse to be shocked by it because I find myself abiding in your kingdom. And Psalm 91 says, I will only be a spectator. Hallelujah. I will only be a spectator. 
to what happens because I find myself abiding in you. And bless God, I'm going to keep abiding in you. I believe. I am a believer. I believe in the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe in his salvation offered me that I've received. I believe in the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I believe in the word of God because it is alive and full of power. So I speak blessing, courage, discernment, understanding upon our people. And I pray that they find themselves, like the scripture says, abiding in your word so that you might abide in them. That they would begin to live there and realize there's no other issue that has priority over learning of you, knowing you, finding your presence, and learning to dwell within that place. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 